0: Uh, The guy with the Captain America avatar, when he shows up, he's expecting, you know, zombies running around and he can go to Hot Topic afterwards and, you know, do whatever it is he does on a Saturday night.
1: I'm as mad as hell and I'm not going to take this anymore. So you lie to yourself to be happy. There's nothing wrong with that. We all do it. We all go a little mad sometimes. Come on. One of you nuts has got any guts. What's but a smile? face you're only as healthy as you
0: feel listen to me listen to you by what right because i have a right to and be a... i have a voice
1: ladies and gentlemen welcome to pop culture case study yeah let's do it i'm pumped let the healing begin Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Pop Culture Case Study, where we analyze pop culture from a psychological angle, a part of the following films network. So this week, our new release, it's not really a new release. It came out a week ago, but we are taking a look at It Comes at Night, uh, which is kind of the newest horror movie uh, written and directed by Trey Edward Schultz, who who wrote and directed Cretia last year that got a lot of... Uh, A lot of critical acclaim and we kind of tied it in with The Gift, another Joel Edgerton horror movie. So to talk about that, of course, I have my horror expert. I have Chris Maynard of the Following Films podcast. So welcome back, Chris.
0: Oh, thank you for having me. I wouldn't really call myself an expert on anything, so but I'll. I'll it's 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 <laughs> my version. It.
1: Anyone who knows more than me is an expert. That is the Would high opinion. That, that's sad. It's the high opinion I have of myself. <laughs> 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 you must really hold yourself in low esteem. <laughs> All right, so. um so you, you run a podcast, of course, called uh, Following Films that you've started mm-hmm. to uh, have a couple more episodes lately. So if people go to uh, your podcast, what can they expect to hear about now?
0: Uh, let's see. Um, earlier today, I released an episode where I actually got to interview the co-creator of Epis for Family, um, Michael Price. He's also one of the writers for like the past 16 years on The Simpsons. Oh. So that was a really, really nice. interesting interview. That was actually a lot of fun.
1: Nice and didn't you just have uh, Leah Thompson show up again on your on your podcast? Yeah, yeah,
0: she came, she came back for the second time. So I think nice. I'm done. I think I need to retire at this point. Yeah,
1: I mean you're not going to get any better than than a repeat appearance by by Leah Thompson. That's <laughs> that's game over. That's
0: <laughs> do, do I need to keep it up for like another year and go for the threepeat?
1: Yeah, I think you should. I mean, you know, just on the outside chance, I mean, she clearly doesn't hate talking to you. She came back more than once, so. You've got that, a
0: shot. She did. I don't think she remembered that we had talked the first time. But that's <laughs> oh, okay. that's
1: the key. That's, <laughs> yeah, brand new, never met. That's <laughs> I can make a first impression all over again. That's great. Exactly. Nice. Uh, so definitely follow uh, follow Chris at following underscore films on Twitter or find his podcast where you find all your best movie podcasts at the following films network at followingfilmscom dot com. So Chris, what did you think of It Comes at Night? I loved it. Thought it was great. Oh, I'm so happy. That makes me so happy. So this movie uh, is definitely getting uh, kind of a split reaction. I've I've seen some very You're- extreme. Reactions either like people loved it or people were like angry by the end of this movie. So I'm glad you. Well, it's
0: it's probably that you're referring to like film Twitter universe people like that, <laughs> not like actual like going and reading actual critical humans. reviews. Yeah, <laughs> you're just reading what like, the the dude with the uh, Captain America avatar had to say about it. <laughs>
1: Always always who you go to for your expert opinions on film. That's right. <laughs> Captain America 7 on you know Twitter. Good. If if
0: he hates it, then I'm I'm in good company. That that that's just only that really puts a punctuation mark on under my love of this movie. If it pissed that guy off, all the better.
1: Right. Um so I also really enjoyed this movie. I felt like I'm wondering what you'll think about this, because I, I feel like there is a there's a lack of knowledge in how to market films like this. Uh, because it certainly was not the movie I thought it was going to be. Walking in after seeing the trailers, like it is marketed like kind of a standard horror movie. So maybe you expect mm-hmm. a little gore, you expect more violence than you get in this movie. So it's do, did you have that reaction too? And how do you how do you adjust to that as you're in the theater?
0: I think that that's something that that pushback is coming from. That's yeah. from the marketing of the movie. Um, I had no interest in seeing this movie because it had that standard horror. Um, Presentation right. in the marketing, honestly. And it, you know, just because I see that there's the A24 label on it, and then I find out that it's actually a, uh, this is Black Phillips extended uh, cinematic universe. <laughs> yeah, that's
1: right. Black Phillips makes an appearance in this movie. So uh,
0: <laughs> w- once I heard that, I was on board. But beyond that, I really wasn't that interested in it. And so as soon as really, I would say, after the first 10 minutes, because the opening of the movie felt really stock out of pretty much any horror film where there's a surprise that's supposed to be happening, but you see it coming really from the opening frame. You know exactly what's going to happen once he gets him in the wheelbarrow and yeah, you see where it's going. But then after that, it's just, you realize you're watching something different. And that's the amazing thing about this movie is that even though I know where it's going and I kind of saw the ending from very early in the movie mm-hmm. it's that that makes it almost more frustrating and it's inevitable the the sort of trajectory of this film, and I think that's what's so satisfying for me um mm-hmm. because it it went against my expectations now I can see why uh the guy with the Captain America <laughs> avatar when he shows up, he's expecting you know zombies running around and he can go to hot topic afterwards and <laughs> you know, do whatever it Jesus. he does on a Saturday night. <laughs> But it just, it's not going to land for those guys because this is really, it's a deeply human story. So this is not something that's going to, I don't know. I, if somebody's saying there's not enough gore and violence in this, what the hell do they need? because right. uh, there's more than enough shocking imagery in this film for my personal taste.
1: Yeah, yeah, I totally agree actually. And I think I think more than anything like, I could think that that opening scene you talked about, I wasn't, you know, I walked in like not super happy with that because like you said, it's something we've seen a thousand times before. So from that point on, the movie has some work to do to be different, to stand out. And I feel like this almost it is a horror movie, but it almost fits into that genre of thriller too. It's like you said, it's a very human story and it's about how these people interact and what you do in this obviously terrible situation. Like, you know, it's kind of your standard. There's some sort of, I guess, airborne illness out there. And if you get touched by somebody who has it, you will most likely get it. But I, I think that's what I love about it is that there's no, there's no necessarily internal logic to how this disease works, just that you are constantly at risk. And I, I felt myself kind of like being on the edge of my seat, for the whole movie because you don't really know there's no way you don't even know necessarily that like using the gloves and the mask is going to help. <laughs> All you really know is like oh that's worked so far, so I guess we're going to keep doing that. And I really love that the movie doesn't doesn't kind of move into that area of like okay, and let's let's have a speech about how this started and how things have right. changed. Like they just kind of throw you in the middle of it and it creates some very interesting kind of moral conundrums for the audience like what would I do in this situation with my family?
0: Well, and that's one of the things I loved about the movie is that it has this ambiguity where it's literally about a guy that was a history professor mm. and he wouldn't be able to crack this code. You know, normally right. we have this about a scientist or somebody in <laughs> right. his family and they figure it all out and you go, okay, there's the buy-in or when it's even worse, it's the same history teacher, but he's still able to figure it out because he has a Bunsen burner somewhere in you know, <laughs> the attic right. that he just right. happens to have had when he was a TA back in the seventies. <laughs> um so that, and that's one of the things that's really frustrating about films like that. And it doesn't do that. And in fact, it kind of sets up ideas that there could be something more than just there could be a supernatural or even spiritual element to what's going on in this film. But it never sure. explores it. It's just presented in a way that there's question marks. And that's what I love about this movie is because you could revisit this um, several times and kind of get different reads on exactly what's going on, I think.
1: Yeah, there definitely is a lot going on. I do like the fact that we have like basically a teacher and a construction worker as our yeah. as our two main characters. Like these maybe. are maybe
0: yeah maybe he,
1: kind of yeah. Uh, I don't. What was he? Yeah, he was one of those. He just mentioned like doing a bunch of odd jobs, and one of them was construction. So he seemed like, but was he telling the truth? We don't know but necessarily. I guess we'll get like, into that the spoiler part because right. yeah, yeah. But I like that you know there's no there's no kind of obvious setup for that, and that these are just. Normal people who are thrown into this really difficult situation, and it's like, I I will take this over over like your kind of standard zombie fare that is out there right now because like I guess there is kind of a zombie element to to the illness, but that's not that's not what the focus on. The focus is on the people and how you interact and who do you trust and how do you trust them. And I think Joel Edgerton gives a Pretty fantastic performance here. And, and that's not really surprising at this point because he's turned in good to great performance, you know, the last five or six things I've seen. But he's perfect for this role because he's so he's so reserved and he's such a relatively subtle actor and he gets so much across with very little dialogue. And I think that's that's a gift that not a lot of actors have.
0: No, he probably can do more with nothing uh-huh. better than any actor. I, I, I can't, I'm hard pressed to think of anybody else. Cause the one that I kind of started thinking of right away was, um, Michael Shannon, but he actually has some pretty explosive, big over the top stuff right. sometimes. And you don't see Joel Edgerton doing that kind of stuff. And maybe it was just the midnight special connection thinking about those two guys. Right. But, um, he just, he's just he's this look at him in loving and this and his performances are really not that far off yeah you know another. that's
1: that's the movie that was in my head as as i was watching this like seeing his performance and it's interesting because they're very different movies of course they they're they're different <laughs> yeah. genres they're they're getting across different ideas but it's it's a similar performance in the way that it's very everything is kind of held back and contained but you are you're able to access it You know, through his performance and he is he is the one who he like he's like the anchor for these movies Mm -hmm. like and he's he's probably he's almost more important than anyone else in the film because if if he doesn't play his role well, then it just becomes another of your standard like guy freaking out because his family's in danger and you get all that from a look instead of from a bunch of screaming and yelling.
0: I, I, I got to disagree with you on that because I think that really all four of the leads here are fantastic. Oh, I agree. Um, yeah. It, it, it's, but I think that if uh, the one that would be, cause his role is the one that you can, it is the anchor. So I think there's more to get into there and you could have had different takes on it the way mm-hmm. he did it. I love, all Right. but somebody like um, Travis, the son. Oh yeah. That that, that, that his performance in this film. And I think a lot of people would have handled it much differently than he does. And he has, such a bizarre, interesting layered performance here that's so tragic and not just, you know, it, the idea that there's this teenager, 17-year-old kid that's trapped with his parents and it's – he has nobody his own age, nobody to relate to. There's not a girl that he can spend any time with and it's just so Brutal to watch him go through this period for so many other reasons, but yeah, he has a tough, tough role here to play.
1: Yeah, that's a great point, actually, and it's something that I thought of as I was leaving the theater when I saw it is that for such a young actor, I think he's actually like in his very young 20s, but it's it's a really impressive performance because it, it just did get me to thinking about this idea that like, you know, being a teenager is terrible. <laughs> Regardless of your situation. But literally, like, he has no contact with the outside world. He just has his mom and his dad. And what would that do to a teenager? Like, how maladjusted would you be? And it makes sense that, like, when, you know, other characters you know kind of come into come into the house like him having these thoughts and these feelings about them almost immediately i was like oh of course he would and it actually made me think of that other a24 movie the witch uh where you sure. have the you know the young brother having sexual thoughts about his sister but he's he's removed from the world so he has zero outlet and the same thing with this kid
0: well yeah and there's the, the this kid's slightly um it, it's a little bit more understandable what he's going through but yes. there's his reaction to it is so much more interesting and so much more. I I, I wonder like he because he's having visions and dreams throughout the entire film mm-hmm. that are very much uh, of the time that he's in and it's they're predictive at times and I'm wondering is that something that you feel is speaking to something that's more spiritual in nature that's just him having nightmares and should be taken as on face value or do you think there's something more to what they're trying to tell us with those visions?
1: I think there's, there's more than a couple ways you can look at it. I mean, I didn't see it as a spiritual connection, but I can totally see someone making that leap. What I saw it, uh, the way I saw it was this kind of idea that no matter, no matter what you do to protect yourself, the outside world is getting in. It, it's mm-hmm. going to happen one way or another. So it's like this kind of just, it's this, his nightmares to me were just the inevitability of, of violence, the inevitability of the outside world encro- encroaching that you can't ever be completely safe. And I think he's he's one of the few characters in the movie that realizes that, like, he, you know, he's willing to go chase after his dog. He's willing to take these risks because, you know, the the world is coming in one way or another. Like, what's what's the end goal here? If you're say you're in this situation and outside is dangerous and you can't go out there is the end goal to just live with your family until you all die. Like it, it, you know, and then it's like, okay, the difference between living and surviving, and is this worth it, or should we take risks?
0: Right. And you were talking about thinking about another movie when you were watching this. The one that I kept thinking about, well, oddly enough, was The Shining. Okay. Um, and there was some imagery where it would have these long pans and oh, long yeah. sort of down the uh, hallways, and at the end you have this red door, and it just really felt like something out of that. And you have this sort of claustrophobic film and. Uh-huh. You know, and I honestly think that um, there's something that's not necessarily overtly explored, but the father in the film is far more dangerous and possibly the problem here than anyone's letting on and that they're just following him blindly. And it's this quiet, stoic man, which unlike in Loving, where he's the way he's performing in that film, you see him as a hero. But in this, I'm utterly frustrated by him and I just want him to just stop what he's doing because he he's just fucking up everything left and right in my estimation. So
1: Yeah, I mean I think that's a good point. And there's there's many moments in the film without giving anything away where some of his actions may be maybe best for survival, but as yeah. far as like keeping his family happy and creating a relationship with his wife and his son, it's the exact opposite. You know there's a whole sequence where you know the the dog gets lost and the son wants wants to go find him and mm-hmm. he he reacts so violently to that there's not a moment where he goes, "No, we can't do that and here's the reasons why like let's go home we'll we'll check in the morning. <laughs> it's like what the hell is wrong with you? How dare you like he treats him like he treats him like uh like he's also thirty five years old and and mm-hmm. has all this inside him, but he's seventeen year old kid like he just wants to go see he just wants to go find his dog you know well, like
0: I I think that's actually part of the problem because the way the film opens where he sees something very horrific and the mom is trying to shield him from this world and they're not allowing him to have the reality of the world around him. And I think that's one of the problems. They shelter him from everything that, yeah, he's 17 years old. I understand by our normal societal standards he's uh, a child still. Mm -hmm. But – that world doesn't exist anymore. And it's time for him to actually be given more responsibility and allowed to be a man. And I think the crippling that he has from both his mom and his father are what's actually really destroying this kid.
1: Hmm. And you also brought up, you know, these kind of long panning shots. And I I just got to say, like, I'm not sure what the cinematographer has done before, but this is a second time director. This is pretty impressive. This is very <laughs> yeah. self-assured. And actually, I just looked it up. He was also he's, – he's been a cinematographer on like 40 different movies, but he also did uh, Tradeward Schultz's last movie, Kreisha. Uh So they yeah. clearly have this really cool working relationship. But I just kept being stunned by – But kind of the smoothness of this movie and how, how professional it looked as opposed to sometimes you see a first or second time director and you're like, okay, I can see that you've got some skill, but you've got a ways to go. This looks like someone who is a veteran and really knows what he's doing, not only as a director, but within the genre. Because I, you know, I felt this encroaching dread, you know, for the whole hundred minutes of this movie. I was, there's a part of me that was really uncomfortable watching this because there's, there's no, there's even by the end of the movie there's no release from that dread that dread is there from the opening shot till the closing credits and it is tough it's a tough sit in a lot of ways
0: but i felt like um not to get into the exact details of the ending it ended perfectly though oh i agree uh, that, that, that yeah. there was just the moment that it was actually it was this odd reaction where um I, I wanted it to end so badly. I was just like, oh, please end, please end, please end. Mm-hmm. And it did. And it ended at that exact moment. And then somebody behind me in the theater just they said, oh, fuck you. And so <laughs> There's a lot is, of that
1: I've heard. Yes. <laughs> and so
0: that, that that's kind of like it's one. And it's not a it didn't feel like an inception ending where I thought that was a cheat and just mm. kind of stupid. Honestly, um, this felt like it was earned and it was appropriate for the story.
1: Yeah, I mean, we'll definitely get into that, uh, in the spoiler section. Cause that's, I think there's, yeah. there's a lot, there's a lot to talk about there for sure. Um, but I also, like you mentioned the kind of the four leads, like we also have this, this other couple who kind of comes into the picture. And I think that more than anything, this movie does a great job of being really efficient with its storytelling and character building. Like I think things happen later in the movie that it would be easy for us to see one couple or the other as the quote unquote villain. Of this movie, Mm -hmm. and I don't think we get that because we understand enough of the world and what these two couples are going through that you understand why everybody does what they do. And I like that it didn't take that kind of easy way out.
0: No, there's there's nothing in this film that's taking the easy way. (laughs) No, Um, (laughs) you know, just everything. The idea that it's just this isolated, small story that's really just taking place entirely in this one house that doesn't have windows. you know, that's just this really claustrophobic movie. So that's going to turn a lot of people off. And how do you keep that interesting the entire time? Well, you hire a very talented cinematographer and you get a good right. set designer because, you know, they, they did that because the whole time it's moving and it's interesting and it's constantly engaging. Um, so yeah, there, there's no easy choices that were made in this film um, with the characters' motivations, with what they're doing. They're very complex. And that's one of the things I love about it because a lot of times we get into the archetype of horror films where you have these very clearly laid out ideas of what a person is supposed to do. Um, you see their motivations. This, I think you do know where it's going and that inevitability is there. Um, but, but, it's so frustrating because they do kind of, they make the same mistakes that you would make that any human would make. And it's utterly relatable. And I think the frustrating part becomes that you're so able to project yourself into this movie and not distance yourself. So you're, (laughs) you're kind of, you're you're almost as culpable as anyone else here.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it is a very easy movie to kind of put yourself in the shoes of any of these characters and realize that, you know, you're, you're not sure. I, I think there's a, there's a, there's a part of watching movies sometimes where we hold ourselves above these characters. Like, oh, they're making yep. stupid decisions. <laughs> that's not what I would do. I would totally be better in this situation. This is not one of those movies. This is a no. movie where you watch it and you're like, I probably wouldn't have lasted this long. Like these people seem to, <laughs> seem to really kind of know what they're doing on some level and they're, they're making some smart decisions. I don't think there's, there's any one decision made in this movie where I rolled my eyes and thought like, oh, well, that was dumb. Why would they ever do that? That doesn't make any sense. And that's actually pretty Pretty rare for a movie in this genre, I think a lot of a lot of horror movies have bad decisions made you know for plot reasons so we can kind of get to get to our end point but this movie I think is very smart and very clearly tradeward Schultz put a lot of thought into this screenplay and it makes me wonder like just how many iterations there were of this because it is it's it's a really tight screenplay and just yeah. really well written and well handled
0: no I, I couldn't agree with you more there's just uh the One part, though, is that it's it's frustrating because you see them doing all these things and that they're doing things that I wouldn't do. But then again, when I think about what I would have done in this situation, um, it probably would have been something more akin to the ending of The Mist. (laughs) (laughs) It would have just been okay. Good night. We we need to end this.
1: We're done now. I'm, I'm sick of this. All of this. We're done. Yeah. 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 Yeah, absolutely. All right. So let's go to spoilers. Spoilers. What?
0: Read ahead, spoil all the surprises. Not peeking at the end.
2: Isn't travelling with you one big
1: spoiler? That's classified. That's what? It's classified. I could tell you, but then I'd have to kill you. All right. Uh, so why don't you talk a little bit about the end of this movie? So what is it that you that you like so much well, about it, and why do you think why do you think people had this kind of violent reaction to it? Because that happened in my theater too. There was only I think there was only ten people in my theater,
0: and yeah, it was pretty small. Yeah, and eight or the
1: nine people were really upset when the when the credits rolled, and I was sitting there in the back, like just kind of smiling, like yes, you I really, laughed also. You, you yeah. stuck the landing, like well done. You know, it made me think of. uh um. Oh, what was that? Uh, that documentary this last year? Um. From the. Uh, oh God, it's about the uh, the director. Um. Why can't I remember his name? Who did Blowout? Um. Oh come on, you can, you come on. You I have know you have a
0: movie podcast. And you I came know Brian De
1: Palma. De Palma. There you go. Where they <laughs> asked him about like, well, what happened with the end in the ending of this movie, and he was like, yeah, endings are hard. You know, I don't know what to tell you. Like, <laughs> sometimes they work and sometimes they don't, and they're really difficult, especially in a movie like this It's so self-contained. And to me, they really, they really hit the ending here. So, well, it's
0: it's a pitch perfect ending, and that's what's so it, it it ends at the exact point that it should because it's the and it's a perfect bookend to the opening of the film where mm-hmm. you take it one step further and you we have a good idea that these characters are both sick in the end and you know, they're done. So there's nothing else that's going to happen, but it's just the two of them staring at each other and they have nothing left and they're absolutely devastated and destroyed. So it's a very frustrating ending for people in that way because it doesn't have that, that resolution. You don't have, you know, the Julia Roberts kidnapper jumping up and he, you know, pops one in her in the guy's head and then (laughs) it's, you know, the credits roll. So it's this, you know, it's a frustrating ending for people because it doesn't have the payoff that most people have for me. I was excited by it because of how just a gut punch it was. And I was, it was one of those things when I walked out of the theater, I was like, God, that's something I never need to see again. This was just, that's a rough, this is a rough sit. But by the time I got home, I was still thinking about the film, and I was kind of running it around and thinking about these different ideas in it. And there's, you know, things that happen in here that I have no interest in revisiting necessarily because I, I don't really like watching kids get shot and oh, you know, weird. grandpa dying. Yeah, it's not not something. <laughs> what that's a softie
1: really... you've turned out to be, Chris.
0: <laughs> I know, I know. I'm I'm a yeah, just a big pansy. So it's it's not something that I thought I would want to re- revisit. But it's just everything that happens here is earned and. Mm-hmm. I keep going back to that but it's just something that i think you were mentioning with the screenplay being so tight and it's so thought out and every piece plays into you know the piece before it or what's happening afterwards and it's just the way that that opening is frustrating it the way that the su- the sun dies mirrors the way the grandfather dies in the beginning of it and then you just have this little coda afterwards and it's it's for me a perfect ending for the film.
1: Yeah, I mean we talked earlier about kind of the inevitability of the of the world coming in of death and this this really hammers it home. Uh like especially as you mentioned that last moment with these two parents who I mean honestly regardless of whether they're sick or not like they're kind of done. I mean oh, yeah, this, oh, yeah. they're over one way or another their son you know, is it's, his life is gone. And that's I think that's one of the things that's kept them fighting so strongly is they have a future to fight for. And now they don't. Uh And and I actually like I had heard before I went in that people were upset about the ending and I actually wish I hadn't heard that because like for the last, I'd say, 20 minutes of the movie, I was like, is it going to end now? Okay, I can see I can see why people be upset if it ends now, like because there's a there's a moment where before these kind of pustules show up on this kid's body, he's coughing and he's just like staring in the mirror. And there's this moment where you can feel like he's wondering, like, oh, shit is this it? Is this happening? Yeah, yeah. and I thought the credits were going to roll then. And I still kind of would have liked that, but I could understand why people would be upset. But I I just think the ending of this, like you said, it's pitch perfect. It exactly it I don't know, I don't know what you were expecting as you go through this movie. This movie is not going to have a happy ending. It's not going to it's not going to tell you all of the secrets of this world they've built. It's just, you know, this is this is their life. They probably don't know what's going on. They definitely don't know. So I just felt like it really and I was surprised by how well it fit the story. Like it was like, no, this is like you said, you can kind of see the ending coming. But just because something is predictable doesn't mean it's bad. Sometimes it just fits. Sometimes it just works. And that is the ending that the story is leading you to. So that that stuff really, really worked for me.
0: Well, there's this part of you that I think is holding out hope yeah. Um, that wants something different to happen other than what we all see is going to happen. And then when it finally does happen, it's you It you, you got what made sense for the story, but not right. necessarily what you wanted. Right. Because, I mean, you, you do like these people in the end and you mm-hmm. do want what, good things for them. But, I mean, you see where they're going. And, yeah, I, I can I can understand why somebody wouldn't necessarily want to spend time in this world or enjoy this film because yeah, it's not, it's not happy. It's not satisfying for some audience members, but I don't know for for me, I, I really did appreciate the fact that it, it didn't pull any punches and it didn't do anything in a way that felt cheap or dishonest.
1: Yeah. I was wondering what you thought of, of the kind of sequence before that, where this, this other family is, you know, essentially murdered uh, by our main characters. (laughs) And I thought it was a very specific choice that you know when he shoots his gun, the the mother doesn't die, the the child does. So, what did you think about oh, yeah. that choice instead of him killing the mother and then having to deal with this infant?
0: What do I think about it? Yeah, um, yeah, I, I, hmm, well, I, I don't want to say that I like it. <laughs>
1: You appreciate
0: it. (laughs) It's not even that I appreciate it. It's just that it's a tragedy that makes sense for the movie. And it's something that um, from a storytelling point of view, it's something that you're not necessarily expecting. You know that something's going to happen to this kid. But yeah, you're right. You assume that there will be this moment of, you know, where the mom will be dead. Uh, She was the one and he'll be the one that's left to do the humane thing and kill her or kill this young boy rather. And so the way they do it though, where he shoots and it appears that he's shooting for the mom, but he ends up getting the kid, which is what he would have had to do anyway. But because he accidentally kills the kid first and we never saw the kid's eyes and we never knew exactly what was going on, you know, we're pretty sure, but we're not a hundred percent, you know, it's the evidence isn't there. The the kid hasn't had his day in court. (laughs) Um, Right. It's, you know, you kind of, you, you turn against him a little bit and there's that point where you're like, Jesus Christ, what that, that's, what's going to happen. That's what you do. Um, you, you, know, and so I think that's a really bold decision to make. So I, I don't, yeah, I, I don't like it, <laughs> right? but I do, it, it fits in with everything else that happens here. And it's a really, it, it's yeah. The smart choice for the film, because if you would have had that moment where he was doing the noble and brave thing, wouldn't have fit in with the rest of the movie.
1: Yeah, I I mean I think just like the way the movie ends it it fits. <laughs> you know, we don't have to like it. We're not supposed to like it. It's not a movie no. that you're you're like cheering for the quote-unquote good guys. It is just like yeah, I guess that fucking makes sense. Like there's this I mean, we talked a lot about this idea of inevitability and we feel that as the audience, like, yeah, that's what was going to happen this whole time. And, you know, it's not it's not a happy story, but that's that's kind of what we expected. And that's how it should go down in the in the kind of in the arc of this movie. And I think it all there's not to me, there's not really a misstep in this movie.
0: No, I don't think so either. But there was uh, one thing I did want to go back in the mm-hmm. spoilers a little bit further. Um, the guys in the woods that when they're mm-hmm. first getting in the truck and they um, you know, were shooting at them, do you think that Will knew them? Or do you think that that was just they were happened to be guys that were there to take them
1: out? I think Will knew them. Like that's that's my – but it could it's it's very well done that it could be either way. It's just a matter of – I think the movie puts you in this place where you already don't trust Will. At this point, mm-hmm. because you're following along uh, with Joel Edgerton's character and you're constantly on the lookout. So you're looking for him to screw up, for him to make a mistake. And for me, as I watched it, I was like, oh, and when I when I first saw it happen, I was like, oh, he he already has stabbed him in the back. Like, that was my first. Yeah, that was my immediate thought. And then as the scene goes on, you're like, well, I guess it could they could be just random people in the woods. But what about you? What was your reaction to it?
0: Um, I, I wasn't sure. Um, it felt like there was something, I mean, they clearly lay out through the entire film that will is not one to be trusted. The scene where they're having drinks later on and there's the, you know, referring to his father-in-law as his father. And was it 30 miles? Was it 80 miles? You know, it's kind of these distances from places where the story never lines out, but you can easily equate that to will being in, uh, nervous in an uncomfortable situation. And maybe he lied earlier about something that he was covering up for. And then he kind of had forgotten that he had lied about something and was being honest later in the film. Right. So but what was the lie? That's kind of where those things. I'm. I wonder if they actually even know what those were, if that's something they have the backstory kind of in right. their mind of what they were playing into. Or is that something that was never meant to be explored?
1: Yeah. Alright, uh, I think that's it for the movie. I had one more thing I kind of wanted to talk to you about it because it's something I've been, I've been curious about as I've kind of examined my own viewing of horror movies. So, you know, you probably know this, that like, I have, I, I have a pretentious streak, uh, and especially <laughs> when it comes to horror movies, there's a long time in my life where I was like, uh, you know, other than like these certain movies that I really, really love, like horror is fine, but you know, it's cheap, it, you know, it just, it does, it does the same thing in every movie. But after seeing like, you know, movies that have come out the last four or five years, these, fantastic horror movies like this like it follows uh like uh like the witch to a lesser extent like the Baba Duke, like there are the, the, the art house horror films yeah yeah exactly so it's kind of opened my eyes to what horror can be and it's actually led me to watch other horror movies that aren't necessarily art house uh but movies that i've ended up really enjoying so i was wondering if you th- like are we at, like you keep hearing like oh we're in this renaissance of horror is that true or have these types of movies always been there we just yep. haven't noticed
0: They've always been there. Um, they're, it's they're getting you have companies like a 24 that are turning them out um, with more frequency and they're getting more acclaim than they ever did before. But, you know, there's been small indie, interesting horror films going on for a long time. If you look at like, you know, all the Bloomhouse stuff, that's doing really well. But he makes these things on the cheap and the people mm-hmm. that make them are really allowed to do whatever they want with them. Yeah. So, you know, if you look at something like Hush that was yeah. a great little movie that nobody yeah. paid attention to. Gotta love and that so, movie. yeah. And, and that's not anything near a art house horror film. It's just a no. really well-made tight little thriller. Uh-huh. Um, and so I, yeah, there's always been as far back as I can remember always been stuff. That's, you know, been a little bit more grounded and, you know, based in humanity than, you know, the sort of supernatural stuff and the big gore fest and that kind of stuff. But, you know, the, there's a point though where these trends they have they come in and out and then they start to fall apart and this might be one of the ones that starts to you know Crumble it for to some degree because I think they had much higher expectations for this film than what it's actually doing and you know audiences don't really like this from their horror movies and that's why this was stuff that used to be just direct to DVD or VOD and now they're actually giving theatrical releases which is great because that's where I'd rather see them but
1: Mm
0: -hmm. this will go away and it'll get back to you know big gory stuff I'm sure
1: right. Yeah. So I'm just going to need to do a better job of kind of seeking out this kind of stuff because they've been like horror movies the last four or five years have been some of my favorite movies of the year. Like not just like, oh, that was more enjoyable than I thought, but like, you know, in my, you know, top three, top five of the year. So I need to do a better job at searching that out. So you're going to get lots of messages from me for, for recommendations. Chris, what should what? I watch next? That's.
0: As far as, uh, what horror film should you watch next yeah. or, yeah, um, God, I, I have no idea what you haven't seen at this point. So, um, let me think, uh, the, you know, there's a, uh, uh, have you seen frailty?
1: Yes. Yes. I like that movie a lot. Actually.
0: I was just going to say with Bill Paxton kind yeah. of on the mind that that was one that I think got, it was underseen and was a really good little horror film. That's definitely worth checking out.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I'm going to tell you the next horror movie I'm going to watch because we're going to take a break and then uh, bring in Brit for Fangirl Fixation and her film education. And we are watching another critically acclaimed horror movie of the last couple of years called Spring. Uh, so we're going to ah, – Great movie. So we're going to check that out and then Brit's going to tell us about uh, the new movies coming out this week. Uh, so Chris, one more time, why don't you let people know uh, where they can find you online? On
0: Twitter, it's following underscore films or followingfilms.com.
1: Hello, I'm
2: Andrew. And I'm Bernadette, and we're the AB Film Review. We're a weekly film review and discussion podcast from Perth, Western Australia. We're a married couple who like to spend our Saturday evenings avoiding reality by discussing and often arguing about the latest films
0: and some classics. And getting closer to divorce. Uh, you can find us on the PodRose Network at podrose.com, also on Twitter at AB Film Review, Facebook, AB Film Review, and our website, abfilmreview.com. That's a lot of ABs. That's it.
1: All right, hi everybody. We are back after our break, and now it's time for Fangirl Fixation with Britt. Hello, Brett.
2: Muscle relaxants. Woo!
1: <laughs> All right. So, uh, anything you want to talk about before we get to the uh, the our uh, Brett film education this uh, this horror week we're doing?
2: That is like a tricky ass word.
1: Horror. horror yeah, I was like... the horror week is yeah, that. <laughs>
2: I know sometimes I'm level and it's just like, man, did you see that new horror movie?
1: Like, oh, no, I I usually watch those alone at home. Right. Um,
2: (laughs) What are you talking about? Why would you watch that shit alone? Did you know they're going to come get you?
1: (laughs) So, uh, anything else you want to bring up before we jump into that?
2: No, I'm just thinking of the the book from Page Master. I haven't
1: seen it. That's (laughs) another of those movies you want me to watch.
2: We need to fix that. (laughs) But, like, one of the books is, is horror. So, and he goes, a oh, horror.
1: <laughs> so that's in your head right now? Yeah. All right. So uh, this week, as far as the podcast, earlier in the week, we took a look at The Gift, uh, which is a horror movie starring and directed by Joel Edgerton. And this week, of course, you just finished listening to our review of It Comes at Night, uh, which is another horror movie starring Joel Edgerton, which I wouldn't allow you to see because uh, bad things happen to animals. So
2: this oh, movie was right. not
1: for you. No. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean... I saw the trailer, and I was like, meh, Mm -hmm. maybe. And then Dave looked up the bad things happened to dogs. I'm like, and I'm out.
1: Yeah, and I'm done. Yeah, so we chose chose that movie not only because it's uh, a Joel Edgerton movie, but also because it's one of those kind of, you know, art house horror movies. These horror movies that were really well-reviewed. Um, so both It Comes at Night and the Gift got really good reviews, and so did the movie we're talking about today, which is called Spring, uh, which is actually available on Amazon Prime for free, so if you want to watch it, it is there for you. So, Britt, what did you think of sp- of Spring, and how would you describe it, first of all? if like, like, if someone said, like, I heard about this movie Spring, and you said, yeah, it's about, what would you say? Because uh-huh. I'm having a difficult time with this, because it's very different
2: it's uh it's about a guy who goes to europe to try and find himself after dealing with the grief of the loss of his mother i don't feel mm-hmm. like that's spoiler that's the, in the first, first scene minutes
1: yeah, it's the first scene oh, yeah, she well, dies yeah. i mean that's that's the setup but yeah. where
2: he does deci- what he decides oh, sure, to do happens sure. like, pretty early on okay so goes to go find himself dealing with grief um needs a girl falls in love way too quickly
1: oh look at your judgment too quickly
2: <laughs> uh and then he learns why i should be more careful
1: oh is that what it's about okay yeah it's interesting to me because you know it's definitely marketed as a horror movie and i had heard it like you know be- on the, all these I don't, best I'm of so lists
2: confused because it's not a horror movie to me
1: to you uh but i think there's a horror is actually a really wide genre um i've heard people refer this uh, to this is more science fiction. I've heard people call this a romance. I've heard people call this like a philosophical film. And I think it's all those things.
2: To me, is more of a paranormal romance.
1: Okay, sure. But doesn't that have its roots in horror? I mean, the paranormal romance that got big, right? was yes. Twilight, that has its but, roots but in is, Dracula.
2: So it's just, okay, so I'm going to pull a GDT here. Okay. Everybody called Crimson Peak a horror, a horror movie. Uh-huh. And he's like, no, it's not. Okay. So I feel the, the, that's kind of how I feel with this one is like, it's not a horror movie.
1: Okay. It's a thriller,
2: it's suspense. Um, I think it's because there's like little elements that are missing for me.
1: Okay. So let, let me ask you this, because I think this is actually a really interesting exercise. What, what makes a movie a horror movie to you? Like, what was this movie? You said it was missing something. So what was it missing to make it fall under that genre for you?
2: I have to be scared at some point.
1: Oh, see, that's not fair though, because then you could you could say you could watch a movie like Halloween, and if it didn't scare you, then it's not a horror movie. But
2: I mean, but but okay, so it has to have the intention of causing fear.
1: Oh, I think there's one scene in particular that definitely does. When he walks in on her, and she's on the floor and the tentacles. I mean, I, see,
2: I didn't think that was fear-inducing. That's why I said so. What so what makes this a horror movie is the very last scene. Like, to, to me, that faith. was the most terrifying thing that happened in there.
1: See, I think that scene, at least to me, that scene was definitely meant to to engender fear, for sure. I
2: think so, but there was something missing for me in this movie that didn't... Well, you,
1: had some, you had some... When we watched it, like, I didn't have... I just want to make it clear, I really like this movie I a lot. I do like the movie. But you had this kind of comment of, like, oh, those effects suck. Like, you were, like, so annoyed Only by on the scene. tentacles. <laughs> yeah,
2: that scene, I was See,
1: like, it didn't bother me. Like, I, I guess for a movie like this, for me, with effects like that, I'm like... I don't know what that's going to look like in real life, so I'm not going to sit here and say, like, that looks fake. But I
2: feel like some of their other effects were so good that it just Mm -hmm. felt off and wrong. Like, that's the one that stuck out to you? Like, her makeup was really good. The the first, like...
1: Oh, when she first, like, appears and she's all frail and, like, wasting away. Like, when she does her, you know, the thing with the rabbits and all that. No, that's
2: not the first time. First time's in bed.
1: Oh, yeah, sure. That but I meant the first, the first show, time we really see her as this creature.
2: And they keep showing, like, moments. And, like, the makeup or special effects or whatever it is for, for the patches that are decaying. Oh, yeah. Like, that was all done really well. Right. So that's why it felt like, why did we go for this gimmicky tentacle thing? Hmm. Um, yeah, I guess I didn't mind been.
1: it. I mean, I get what you're saying for sure, because those other things you're bringing up are small. Um, they're, they're kind of they're subtle uh, makeup work. As opposed to, like, this big moment is very special effects heavy. And Which is- I
2: felt would have done better with more practical effects than their CG, because they did not have enough money for the CGI mm. on
1: that. Well, I mean, I don't know what they did and what they did. Like, sometimes I will look at something and say, like, oh, that's bad CG. And sometimes it's practical, so I don't know exactly what they did. Uh, but I can assume the kind of movement of the tentacles was was computer generated. Yeah. At least it felt like it. But I'm not sure about, like, all the stuff coming out of her body and, oh, and no, all not
2: that. Oh, that, no, not that stuff. I'm, I'm still talking specifically about the tentacle, goddammit. <laughs> the tentacles. what I had issues with. The rest of how she looked when he walked into the room was kind of cool. It's that one tentacle that does a little weird flippy thingy at the end?
1: <laughs> See, I like that. I love that bit. Um, so, other than that kind of moment, like, what did you think of the movie? Did you think it was good? Did you think it was great? Like, I where do you sit movie. on it?
2: I think. Oh, I think that's the other thing that, like, for me with horror movies is that, like, pacing.
1: Okay.
2: Um, I'm always going to talk about pacing. Sorry, guys. Uh, there, there weren't enough like build up moments in this for me. Hmm. Like to where it starts to like. Because, like, like, you're saying, like, Halloween. Yes, Halloween wasn't very scary for me at this point when we finally watched it. Um But I could see why it scares people. Sure. And it definitely had moments of, like, hiking my anxiety because of the way they built things up. Mm-hmm. And I don't think this one did... Like, the only time that I really felt that in this entire movie was at the end.
1: Yeah, I think for me, like, I, I mean, I can see that. I, again, didn't have that issue with it. Probably because in a lot of ways, like, this is... To me, this movie is a romance film, and all this other stuff is kind of happening in the background. Right, but so, you were
2: asking what made it a horror movie for me or not. Sure. So. Well, I
1: was, I was asking what you liked about it and what you didn't. You said the pacing was an issue. And for me, the kind of buildup or lack thereof didn't bother me because I think that moment for our main character, when he finds her on the floor, is not supposed to be something that's built up to. It's supposed to be a shock. It's no, supposed talking, to come out of nowhere.
2: Okay, and I'm talking about the very, very last scene of the movie.
1: No. Okay. You would, you were talking about the whole movie and you said the only time you felt the buildup was the end. And I'm telling, I'm saying like the buildup that wasn't there for you. Like that made sense to me because it was more of a romance than a horror movie. If that holds true. Um, so what did you think of the two main performances? Like we obviously have, you know, the guy and the girl, everyone else is kind of side. They're all ancillary characters. It's really about these two. So what did you think of their performances?
2: I don't think there's anything that, like, super sticks out about this guy, mm-hmm. um, but I think, like, the chemistry between the two of them works.
1: Mm-hmm. And it has to, or this yeah. movie falls apart.
2: Yeah, so I think, like, if you just, like, if he was on his own and didn't have her to play off of... Sure. I, like, I couldn't... The, the very beginning of this movie, when he's out drinking with guys, I'm like... <laughs> Please don't let this be the whole
1: movie. You just don't like dudes. No. <laughs> But I think definitely I would agree that she has the, she has more charisma than he does. And I think, but I think again, I think it really makes sense for the movie because he is, you know, he is shiftless. He is aimless at the beginning of this movie. And she is kind of this, this spark that gets him moving, you know, so that, that made sense to me. And I liked how naturalistic it felt. These conversations felt like real thoughts. Yeah, it's
2: just, the thing is, I shouldn't like the old man more than like him.
1: I think you should. That old man's great. Uh. Like that, I mean, I did too. I mean, I think that old man is pretty fantastic. And I think in in a lot of movies, you have like the everyman character, right? The one who just kind of like, he's your guide through this world. Right. Because he's not, so he's not going to stand out. Uh, and that's purposeful. So you can kind of put yourself in his shoes. You can kind of go along for the ride. And I think they did that perfectly in this movie. Like mm-hmm. that stuff really worked for me. But it's he's not a character I'm going to be like going back to in my mind. Like, oh, what a great performance. What a what a great moment this this is it's more about the two of them together I think than either of them separately
2: right so.
1: Um, so to you is this a great movie is this is this something that you would put in the same category as these other like new great horror movies although it's tough for you because you weren't a big fan you liked it follows but you weren't like a huge fan of it uh, but, like, movies like It Follows and uh The I Babadook. I don't even
2: remember what It Follows was. Oh, jeez. Is that not... the one with the with the girl and the thing?
1: <laughs> that's every horror movie ever made. So, yes.
2: <laughs> no, but, I mean, like, the, the one with the whole scene, like, in the car and, like, it transfers people. Yes. That's okay. the one. Yeah. Um, I don't think it fits in with those.
1: Okay. Like, why is that?
2: There's Like I said, there's something missing that doesn't make it that level of a horror movie. Mm-hmm. I think it was a nice little film, but it's not a horror movie.
1: Okay. So just a nice little film, so you wouldn't put it in the category of being great or good, no. just kind no, of
2: No, I definitely wouldn't compare it to Baba Duke
1: Mhm. Okay. Are there are there things in this movie you you feel like you've seen before? Like do you feel like this takes from everything since this is a newer movie, this came out in 2014, so pretty recently?
2: No, I don't think it does. I think it actually finally did something that was slightly new. The mm-hmm. only thing that I could No. Okay. No, I don't think so. Like, I like the story of it. I think it's a good mm-hmm. story, and I think it's a good premise. I just don't think it was scary or had anything tied to it like that. Okay.
1: Well, at some point, we will watch uh, the Before trilogy, which I have told you about before. The, like, Ethan Hawke, ah, Julie Delpy. Totally Delpy. Cool. Yes. Uh, before Sunrise, Before Sunset, and yeah, Before Midnight. I because there is... Uh, actually, after watching this, I kind of read up on it, and there are a lot of people comparing it to those movies, because those movies are... Like, take out the supernatural element, but those movies are two people meet and they're walking and talking and they're falling in love and they're, you know, and it's all just, it's all conversation. Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of moments in here that reminded me of that. But other than that, like it did feel, it did feel very different, which was cool. Yeah. It didn't feel like something like, oh, I've seen this before. I guess, well, we're doing this again, you know, so it's yeah. nice to get something new. All right. Uh, so that's it for Brit's film education. She liked Spring, uh, but didn't love it. Sounds like, is that a fair assessment? Yeah. Worth a watch, but not something you're like, oh, I got to see that again. Okay, so uh, this is the point in the show where I admit to my stupidity. Oh, um, yay, I don't
2: even know what this is about. It's your I'm favorite excited.
1: part. Um, so the last two episodes we did, we did ahead of time because I was going to Reno to try and find a place to live oh, for so the year and internship. Something up. Yes, I certainly did. So as we usually have this section of like what's coming out next week? And Britt is so drugged up and tired right now that she doesn't realize I didn't make her watch any trailers before we started. Oh shit. Yeah. Uh and the reason for that is last week we talked about like the Transformers movies and the Bad Batch. Yeah. uh and that's coming out this week. Um huh. so uh we don't have any trailers to talk about, which is fine. Because uh, right we've already talked about it. So I want to talk about something different with you, oh, if you don't mind.
2: So close. It's like, You're not done. They, it's like when they tell you that if you finish your worksheet, you can leave class early. And then But
1: like, one more mind. thing. It's like holding that carrot out and then just yanking it back. All right. So what I want to talk to you about, because it's, it's something that kind of confuses me when it comes to when people want to see movies. Because I want to see everything. So I am a terrible gauge for, like...
2: You really are, especially with that squelchy thing you were watching last night. I don't trust you anymore.
1: Oh, I was watching The Beyond last night. Yeah, it was great. Um, So if you like uh, 1980s uh, Italian horror, check that out. It's fantastic. But what I wanted to talk to you about, because, as I said, I'll see anything. And, honestly, most of the people I interact with, especially on Twitter, are, you know, are big film fans. And they'll watch anything. Um, So shocked. So it makes me wonder, and this is the time where I see you as a quote-unquote normal person because you're kind of insulted. no because you're like outside of that of that world where it's like i want to see everything so i was wondering if you could try to put into words what about because we usually talk about trailers what about a trailer will will like spur you to go like i need to see that movie
2: well i don't know if i'm a good gauge for that because i got excited over Despicable Me three
1: Okay, let's take kids' movies out of it because you'll because that's I think <laughs> that's, that's my... the category you'll watch anything in. You'll watch Almost. Over the Hedge. You'll watch The Nut Job. I
2: didn't watch Boss Baby.
1: Yeah, it's because you love me. That's because you didn't want to drag me to it. it. It is. At all. So, aside from kids' movies, like if you see a trailer, like what what attracts you to go see a uh, go see a movie? Does it have to be like an amazing trailer? Does it have to make you laugh? Does it have to spur some sort of reaction in you? Like, what is it about a trailer that will get you into the theater?
2: Well, that's hard now because there's so many things that are remakes mm-hmm. and, like, nostalgia pokes.
1: Right. Um, so you feel like sometimes you'll go just because there's nostalgia for you. There's, so there's the nuggets. trailer could be shitty. Yeah. Uh-huh. It
2: depends. Well, yes and no. Like I, like, I really wanted to see Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles to start off with, and I saw a trailer. I'm like, I'm out.
1: Yeah, there is definitely a there's a fifty fifty thing going on there because if the trailer screws up, yeah, then you're like, that's not my fill in the blank here. Yeah, I'm not going to watch that.
2: Um, I like trailers that don't tell me too much. Okay, like you know, back in the day, like the like most perfect trailer ever, ever is still Independence Day.
1: Oh yeah, we'll never get a great trailer like that again because we know too much about stuff. Because now. Like, like stuff, stuff leaks. like so
2: like stuff like that. I was like. In. I don't even know what the hell it is. You I'm and everybody so else. In.
1: It just gave you things exploding and a date. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay.
2: <laughs> um. But it's, so let's see. Let's let's talk about like some of the trailers that interested me recently. Beguiled. Okay. Uh, partially because I'm just like a period movie whore to begin with. Okay. Um. But she gave enough about the characters. And enough about like what may be going on, mm. but it still left me questioning so yeah, much. Yeah, I still that don't I, know that I need what's to going see it because I'm like, what the hell is actually happening? Yeah, I'm
1: like, is it a murder story? Is it a like Frankenstein story? Like, there's there's same, a lot going on. Same in the with my
2: cousin Rachel, which okay. again is a period piece, so I'm mm-hmm. already going to be somewhat interested. But the, the same thing, it gave me a lot of information, but didn't actually tell me how the movie is right. Um,
1: like you still have to piece it together as you watch it. Yeah. Instead of most trailers where it's like, oh, so that's what happens at the Beginning of the third act of that movie. But also,
2: so I also feel like with nostalgia trailers, I tend to be way more hypercritical because all of my Mm. friends are like, "Yeah, like Star Wars." I saw a trailer. I'm like,
1: "It's my face when I saw the Force Awakens too." Yeah, so (laughs) it's it's fine. It's good. It's just not like amazing. You
2: guys are talking about the Force.
1: Yep, it's happening. It's a thing. Doesn't and see, that, I think the Star the Wars trailer pissed me off more than anything else because honestly, uh, a friend of mine has a, has a podcast uh, called the Cinema Bun Podcast, and they talked about you could just get a piece of cardboard and write Star Wars on it and put it on a screen and be like, yeah. "I'm in," because <gasps> that's all they need. They don't need marketing. Like it feels like they're making trailers just to have fun, yeah, as so opposed to, to like pump to think up the of movie.
2: Movies that that like I watch the trailer, I'm like, I really want to watch that.
1: Well, last week you liked the Bad Batch. You liked that trailer. I did. Yeah, but you said that it might be too much for your anxiety because it was like all all the colors and all the movement. It's like the post-apocalyptic oh, bad, one. Bad,
2: bad. I yeah. keep forgetting what that movie is right. because in my head, Bad Batch is Good for is the like, trailer. <laughs> well, because with the name Bad Batch, I think a heist movie.
1: A heist movie? Oh, I could see that. Like sure. some
2: ragtag heist movie. Maybe it is. Go, I don't know. They got to go hit up some bank. Like that is what mm-hmm. I think every time I hear Bad Batch. Okay. Um, like Ocean's Eleven style bullshit. Okay. Um, okay. Now I remember which movie that is. Yes, that does look interesting. Yes, I'm probably gonna have issues with my anxiety because of the scoring. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do, I do want to see that because, because again, that's another one where it's like you give me like all these cool like little tastes of things, but mm-hmm. don't actually tell me what the hell's going on. Right. And that's what's gonna get me to go see a movie. So more.
1: for you, so I, I feel like there are two types of trailers out there. Really, there's a trailer that tells a story. And there's a trailer that gives you images. And you don't like the trailer that tells you a story because it gives away too much. It gives away the narrative of the movie. Yes. Whereas you'd rather see like, ooh, these are things you can look out for. Yeah. And then fill it in when you go.
2: Like a Blimpies commercial back in the day.
1: Yeah, I don't know what you're talking about.
2: They used to say that they did their commercials that way because um, different colors make people hungry.
1: Oh, okay. Sure. So
2: their commercials were to make people hungry for their sandwiches. Okay. All
1: right. So is there a difference to you in a good trailer when it's something that's that you already know about the property and something brand new? And which do you think has more work to get you into the theater? Something that's brand new or something that you're like, oh, I know what the turtles are, I know what the Power Rangers are, whatever it is. Which I mean, is the harder sell?
2: The harder sell is something that I don't know about because mm-hmm. if it's something that I already love from my childhood, just don't fuck it up.
1: Yeah, you're either guess, gonna love it or hate it. Yeah, no in like, between. Yeah,
2: so like I'm already interested. Like when when I heard about Power Rangers, I was like, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then and then I saw the trailer and I got more excited.
1: Right. Um. And then Turtles the opposite. The turtles yeah, Turtles was then, the opposite.
2: Oh I was like, yeah, Turtles. And then I'm like, oh, okay, I'm gonna go watch everything from my childhood again because you guys are now ruining it. <laughs> right. Um. And like at this point. Transformer trailers, I can't deal. Oh, well, they're all the
1: same anyway. Like, I mean, I just stop paying attention. <laughs>
2: like,
1: know oh, it's Optimus Prime's voice again. I guess. Like, yeah. So, here we so are.
2: I think. Well, it depends. It depends on which nostalgia it is. It depends on what something new is. Sure. But, um.
1: But generally, yeah, it's tougher. Th- for but a new there are
2: sometimes where newer things are more likely to grab me because I'm like, oh, I haven't seen something like that before, right? Which is nice.
1: Are there? Um, I guess the only other thing I, I was wondering, like are there other things that will automatically pull you into a movie? Like, are there certain actors Are there certain directors? Are there, are there certain topics other than period dramas that like really will grab you and go like, Oh, I'm going to see that. Like, cause I have actors that I'm like, I'm going to see that no matter what it is. I don't care. Cause I really like Kevin Kline or, or whoever it is.
2: Um, Emma Thompson usually.
1: hmm. Period drama.
2: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I would have said Michael Fassbender like a couple months ago, but now I'm kind of on the fence of that. Same with Benedict Cumberbatch.
1: Why? Why are you on the fence with those two actors in particular?
2: I don't know.
1: Oh, interesting. So it's not like you saw a movie that they were in and you're like kind of soured on them. No, yeah. But there's something. No, there's just
2: something. Where we're just like, hmm. I mean, I'll still want to watch it, but it's not like I have to go. I see gotta that go in the see theater. it the theater. Sure. Um, I'm starting to really like Sofia Coppola,
1: Mm-hmm.
2: and um.
1: Well, soon we will be watching at least two of her movies together. so... No,
2: my brain just died on the other director that I'm a really big fan of that I would watch it from.
1: Besides, know?
2: besides GDT, there was somebody else. Well, yeah.
1: Do you know what the director has done? No, nope, my brain style? just like literally. No? All right. Woo! It happens. So it sounds like there are people out there that will bring you into the theater, but they're pretty few and far between, and it kind of and it fades.
2: Yeah, and a lot of times, like for me to do that, it also has to be a combination of people. Okay. Like. Like, um, oh, what was that movie? Red?
1: Mm-hmm. that had,
2: like, Helen Mirren oh, yeah. and Bruce, Bruce Willis. Willis. And, like, so there's, like, it's, like certain combos of cast. I'm like, well, I can't not see that.
1: I just thought of, you know, in the 1989 Batman, the Tim Burton Batman, where the Joker releases, yeah. like, the poison, but it's only in, like, a combination of products? Like, mm-hmm. that's you in movies. Like, if it has <laughs> this director and these four actors and this writer and this color scheme. Yeah. Then I'm in. I'm,
2: like, I'm very, <laughs> like, I am honestly... Fairly difficult to please, but then also very easy to please in some senses too.
1: Yeah, I think...
2: I'm a complex creature. I think
1: you are easier to please when it comes to nostalgia and harder to please when it comes to new things. Yeah. Because uh, when it's, you know, like when we saw like things like the Marvel movies or Deadpool or any of those, like you're pretty, you're like, okay, like there are things that I didn't like about it and things that I wouldn't have done, but I had a good time. Yeah. Whereas like newer movies, it's kind of like you get a little more critical about them. Because you don't have that that pull yeah, towards it already. True. And I think that's pretty much everybody. I think things we oh, have my
2: friends rip apart Marvel movies, but Well,
1: that's because they don't like I mean to me it comes off like when you're when you when you're this self professed fanboy or fangirl and then you go in and rip something apart, like you just wanna hate. And that's fine, but just admit it. Like you just want to go in there and hate something. Like I'm, I'm trying to be better about that in general, and like going in with a more positive attitude and being like, let me see if I can enjoy myself.
2: Do you like choke a little bit? When no, you say that? not
1: at all. Because like I don't know, it just the the hatred of movies. Like it gets really old and it gets not fun.
2: No, yeah.
1: You know, good. it's just like that. sucked too. Oh great. Why am I watching movies if they all suck?
2: Yeah. So basically, like... <laughs> basically the way that I look at trailers is the back of a book. Oh, okay. Sell me sell me that I should read this book.
1: Right. And this has the not only words, but this gets pictures and this gets every right. so, every opportunity. So if you
2: can't if you can't sell me in two minutes with all of that to your advantage, that a book can sell me in the twenty seconds I skim the back of it.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. That's it. No, that makes perfect sense to me. Alright. Um uh, so is there anything else you want to talk about before we end the episode?
2: No, because I want my crispy M
1: M's okay that's important all right um so that's it for this week so hopefully if it's playing anywhere near me which i'm actually not sure it's going to uh we will be covering uh the bad batch uh next week so in order to pair with that we are taking a look at a girl walks home alone at night so I
2: finally get to see it. yes
1: which is anna lily Amirpour's uh earlier movie it's her first movie whereas the bad batch is her second so until then i will be here diagnosing your favorites and judging you for what you watch God, is not technology fucking great? God, damn,
0: sort of, but I think yeah. we're missing a lot of good shit because of it.
1: Yeah, yeah, I agree. But there's also there's stuff I never would have seen if we didn't have the, if we didn't have Netflix and Amazon Prime Ooh. and you know, and a lot of it comes from. It doesn't just come from technology. It comes from the human connection, too. Talking to other people online about, like, what movies do you really love that I've never seen? And then going and finding it. So you use technology as a tool instead of as, like, you know, flipping channels. Get my shit together here.
0: Oh, this is going to take a while.
1: Uh, Hey, not my life. (laughs) Just uh, my podcast shit. It takes much less time, thankfully. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I'll never have my shit together that's, that's never going to happen oh, please don't
0: you know, just one, one last thing mm-hmm. yeah, I've been pretty. watching so many indie like LA Film Festival movies that this felt like the big budget like sort of action <laughs> movie of the summer
1: for right it. well there, was, there were guns I mean it was like so it probably yeah. cost like 25 bucks to make and you're like ooh <laughs> They, they went outside
0: and inside. It wasn't like, you know, it seems there were two that I settings? in it. Wow.
1: Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Joel Edgerton yeah, they, might as well be Brad Pitt to you in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Big star.
2: In in your car. I never, never
1: want to go home because I have